Hello and welcome to the Dr. Richard podcast, a show about health, well-being, fitness and humanity. I'm Dr. Richard Mark. Today I'm excited to welcome Ben Lombard. Ben is a physiotherapist specialising in back pain, sports injuries and occupational injuries amongst other things. How are you Ben? And tell me three things that make you smile. Hi Dr. Richard. Uh, I am very well, thank you very much. I want to say thank you so much for having me on today. Three things that make me smile. Uh, number one would be my newborn son. Just had a baby um, four months ago. He, whilst sometimes not making me smile, very often makes me smile. Um, number two, I would say running. Running's a thing I'm doing a lot of at the moment and is a key source of my sort of mental clarity and definitely makes me, makes me smile. And then lastly, job satisfaction seeing a patient of mine who I have discharged, doing the thing they came to me not being able to do is seriously satisfying, and that always puts a smile on my face. Yeah, it's turning someone around, right, from yeah. injured to, to functioning again. Absolutely, especially when they can't see the wood from the trees and they, they come in, whether it's quite frustrated or sad or upset about this thing. Maybe there's a bit of time pressure with a race deadline and working through the process step by step guiding them helping them do it is what they need to do in order to achieve their goal and when it's achieved it's it's a beautiful thing to see yeah and obviously you've done this for me a few times <laughs> been over to devonshire square yeah and i think also like with the obviously like gym injuries and things but then also i said to you um people in my my professional professions like mine um, because of the kind of positioning and the nature of the job, you know, it is a really important thing. Yes, but I, there are many jobs like yours and generally many jobs that require you to be sat in prolonged static positions or postures, maybe hunched over screens or crouched over people or laying on plinths, you know, my job as well. And, you know, the, the human body doesn't hate any of those positions. None of those positions are bad positions per se, but it's the sort of lack of movement between other positions. You know, it can cause you to sort of develop ways of doing things most efficiently. The body the body's a very clever, um, clever piece of kit. It will kind of make things as easy as it possibly can. And it might mean that when you're hunched over a patient, you know, cleaning their teeth and replacing them and making their smile wonderful, you might be using muscles to hold positions that aren't necessarily the target design muscles to do that thing, but the thing that feels easiest for you. Yeah, absolutely. How did you originally get into physio? And what's your kind of ethos? And how did you kind of learn all the skills that you have? You know, obviously, I think you're a brilliant physio. <laughs> Very kind. Um, so I became a physio because I had an injury myself, which is the story that I, I often go with. So I, I played a lot of sport growing up and had a not very serious but i had a back injury that was was at the time quite debilitating and required medical attention and i went through the process of rehabilitation with a sports therapist actually who was recommended by the club i was playing for and at the end of the process i was enamored with you know how he'd made me feel terrible from being terrible to feeling you know fully functional again and the ways that he'd done that through exercise and all the advice and, and the knowledge he'd given me, basically. So I asked him, how do I do what you do? And he recommended that I go down the path of a physiotherapist, which is an incredibly wide funnel, a very broad degree, um, a vocational degree, and then to specialise, which is exactly what I've done. And I now do essentially exactly what he did because I work for myself from home and I saw him working for himself at home. It's perfect. Yeah, that definitely worked. <laughs> and then my ethos that's, is an interesting one. I think I have maybe three or four things that I really live by in terms of uh, physiotherapy. 
is that there is no bad exercise, I think. There are people who like to complain or poo-poo certain types of exercise on social media, whether that be CrossFit or running or whatever it is. And I don't think ever there is fault from the exercise itself, it's just the way that we do that. So I think that sort of managing volume and sort of um, frequency and intensity is, is a really big part of my ethos with my clients. Um, variety is the most important thing, I think. Sure, like if you have a specific goal to run a marathon, for example, you have to do lots of running. But outside of the specific event training, there needs to be variety in terms of direction, intensity, frequency, movement type. I think that's really important. Um, and then another thing I think there's a lot of sort of in for a penny, in for a pound. Either people exercise loads or sort of not at all, which kind of comes back to my first point. But I think that there is always something for someone and something is better than nothing. So you don't have to exercise three, four, five, six, seven times a week. Once is fine if that's what your lifestyle allows for at that moment in time. But everyone's lifestyle goes through these ebbs and flows and these phases of having more or less free time. And your exercise has to match those phases. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember um, kind of when I had those gym injuries, obviously there's like a bit of manipulation and then you use some acupuncture as well. I did. I, I used medical dry needling, which is very similar to acupuncture, uh -huh. but is, is more of a sort of westernised version of right. um so the, it seemed to work. It does work on some people for sure. And again, it's this it should never really be used as a standalone treatment. Um yeah, exercises, I remember you know, in your office getting you doing the exercise I need yeah, you to do. And you gave me the red band. I gave you the bands, <laughs> which had the resistance, and that's the key to all physio is the sort of resistance and strengthening component of it. But the, the dry needling can be incredibly useful for several reasons. Um and the reason that I believe is the sort of tension release that you get by inserting a needle into an area of hypersensitivity or these trigger points that can form along muscle fibers and the voluntary or involuntary twitch that you get from that which helps to flush lots of new blood and new oxygen into new um, building products amino acids through to the muscle help it to relax and to try to restore muscle function and in your case certainly did why do you get that why does it even happen so you whenever you overuse a muscle whether that be sort of statically or posturally or whether it through dynamics exercise or or, or injury you very rarely use the muscle the same way all the time or you very rarely use it, you know, quote unquote, perfectly because there's no such thing. So your muscle is essentially like a cylinder full of muscle fibers. You could imagine it like a long cylinder full of cooked spaghetti. This is not how it is, but it, it, it works as a nice analogy. And as the muscle contracts, it would all shorten. And as the muscle strengthens, it would all lengthen. When you injure a muscle or when you overuse certain parts of the muscle, you won't necessarily overuse all of those cooked spaghetti strands equally. You may use some more than others. And over time, that can sort of lead to tension and, and, and injury and inflammation in and around those. And, and you could imagine that those overused one spaghetti strands might become uncooked, right? So you've got a cylinder now full of cooked spaghetti and some uncooked spaghetti. That would affect how your cylinder would shorten and lengthen. So very simplistically, that might affect how your muscle works. Those areas then begin to rub against each other, against the myofascia, the outer connecting bag on the muscle. And you get these sort of hot spots or trigger points when... And when you release these things or when you hit them with a needle or with a finger, they can be quite sensitive. But the twitch or the, the influx of blood to that area helps to soften the muscle and return it to its normal sort of cooked spaghetti 
cylinder. Got it. <laughs> yeah, I remember because I had to study all these muscle mm. muscle fibers and yeah. everything as well. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. But yeah, obviously untangling the spaghetti. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's I always feel silly maybe saying this, especially to someone medically trained like yourself, because that's not exactly how it works. You know, they're not just long chains that they're, they're, they're all sort of split up into yeah. units and all this much more complicated stuff but i think it works nicely yeah yeah tell us about your fitness and how it's been important for you obviously you talked a little bit about running but what else do you do fit for fitness do you is it all self-directed or yeah. do you have classes or how do you do you do your own fitness regimes I, I think variety which again actually comes back into the ethos as well my i think variety is absolutely essential so i try my best to keep it varied whether that be with some running, with some strength training in the gym, sport, a little bit of five-a-side football, things like that here and there. But it's all quite ad hoc, especially at the moment. I'm going through one of those phases in life where my time is compressed and I have less free time. So I'm sort of grabbing exercise as and when I can. Doing more running because, again, putting on my trainers, leaving my front door, coming back to my front door is more time efficient and more simple at the moment. But my, my belief in exercise going forwards generally is that you can have training phases and enjoyment phases and I think it's important to do both and you can sort of periodize your training or structure your training and have in those training phases or blocks you know you've got sessions that are intense or, or specific to the thing that you're trying to achieve and then in times where you have less energy and effort and headspace to be able to put towards training exercising for the sake of it and to move and for the mental health benefit is also really important so I ebb and flow between those depending on how busy I am with work and family life and various other things. And at the moment, I'm certainly in a enjoyment, getting out fresh air sort running. of space. And running is, is a big part of that for me now. So you said that you kind of achieved your personal best in uh, 5K and 10K runs recently, which is after the birth of your yeah. son. So how is that possible? Because yeah. you would think you'll be having less sleep and be absolutely exhausted. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I have, I have beaten both my 5 and 10K PBs actually in the space of a week of each other. And as you correctly pointed out, sleep has been terrible and we're only now sort of coming out of his sort of first regression. And I think the honest answer is I haven't felt able to go to the gym to lift weights because I, have, I haven't felt like I have the energy or the strength to do that thing. And I think it's quite simple to have maybe a bad gym session. If you go to the gym with a plan and someone's on your bit of equipment and then you get on it and you lift something, but you couldn't quite lift what you lifted before, you couldn't do as many reps and that's all very frustrating. Whereas I think with running, I've had quite a lot of misplaced frustration to get rid of anyway. And I think just being able to go out and put my trainers on and thrash at it has been has been my choice. And as that's how I think I've beaten both of those personal bests. Yeah, I remember um, I was living with a flatmate who's a doctor um, and then he he's actually a surgeon and he would just sometimes go out for a run to clear his head because obviously it's got the physical and the mental part as you said but um he would go out even in the pouring rain <laughs> some people love it i think the pouring rain, it's it, it can be so cathartic you know when you go out and you like running like a kid when you just go absolutely hell for leather running as fast as you possibly can. The endorphin rush you get from that is, is absolutely wild. Um, and this time of year is one of the best times, I think, to run and because it's freezing cold, but 
the cheesiest phrase that I ever heard someone say on Instagram the other day, which has really resonated with me, is be bold and start cold. <laughs> so, you know, don't overlayer, just wear shorts, long sleeve t-shirt, start off freezing. By the time you've set off two minutes later, you're happy as Larry. So what do you think about this whole cold therapy and this whole movement to the cold? And how is it from a physio point of view? Because I've never actually heard that mm. discussed for the muscles. And So for the muscles, it's... Uh, it, it's a little bit contradictory, I think. It's definitely a phase, definitely mm. a sort of slightly gimmicky Instagram social media phase in the sense of normal, everyday people don't necessarily need to do it for sort of like muscular development or strength. I think if you're doing it for some sort of mental health, res uh, mental resilience, adversity training, if you've got a goal specifically to with it, that's totally what you should do. Or there are lots of people who do it for hormone balance and things like that. And that aside, I think is awesome. But there has been some research into what happens, you know, if you were to train and then to jump into your cold ice bath, it basically pulls the contradictory effect. You know, you train to put lots of blood into a muscle because you break the tissue down by doing your bicep curls, then your biceps are nice and full of blood, and then you the new blood brings your amino acids and your proteins, and it helps the muscle protein synthesis you a bigger bicep. Should you put that bicep in an ice bucket of water, you'd get so much vasoconstriction that the blood would just be shuttled away from there toward, back towards your heart and sort of vital organs. So in a sort of contradictory way, if you wanted to get bigger muscles, your ice bath wouldn't be best used after training. But, you know, historically it's been used in sport quite a lot for recovery because these guys aren't necessarily trying to build lots of muscle tissue. So I think the, the, the short answer is there are times when it's really valuable, but it's you have to match what your goal is to whether you should or shouldn't use it or maybe when you should use it. Mm. Yeah, I thought there was more to it, definitely. And what about nutrition? How do you approach your nutrition? Especially at this time, again, with the... <laughs> Similarly to exercise, I think, phases. You know, I I think my... Over the last sort of six months, what I have looked to try to do is to reduce the amount of processed food with more and more information coming out about sort of microplastics and ultra-high processed foods and things like that. And actually just being able to look at back of packets and be like, I'm not necessarily sure I want this gum or this in my my body necessarily so my overarching aim is to reduce the amount of that sort of food and in eat more whole foods certainly more protein if i am trying to recover to more carbohydrate in and around training I, I might do those things but i am a also creature of convenience sleep deprivation makes me want to eat chocolate all day um so and also i like a drink as much as the next person so I, I certainly am not one of those people who's going to sit on a pedestal and tell you that I have the perfect diet but I think that when I have the time and the sort of mental space low processed high protein uh you know 25 a day all those sorts of things they're, they're the things I try to try to get in yeah I do think things are changing like when I was younger and definitely when I was a student it was like microwave meals were a thing absolutely now I hardly see people eat a microwave meal which I think is a good thing which is a good for thing. sure and especially from a dentist's point of view oh, you, yeah. know, you must have some really interesting insights onto like what it is that sort of increased rates of decay or color discoloration of teeth or bad breath and stuff like that that's the stuff I think that's fascinating you know we should certainly talk about that but that sort of microwave speed meal 
there are people, maybe it's slightly lower socioeconomic backgrounds, who have those more, more of those sorts of meals because that's what's available. But if you are not within that category, yeah, I think those sorts of meals are phasing out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, from a dental point of view, you know, sugar is one of the main things. And then there's like, obviously, obvious sugars, but then there's hidden sugars in things like ketchup <laughs> and baked beans, and even in these um, ready meals as well. Yeah. Um, but people are becoming more aware of sugar as well now. That's mm. something that's more discussed for, from a health perspective. So yeah. we've always been talking about it. But now that's something that people are talking about, like refined sugar and the amount in your diet, you know. And what about things like chewing gum and sugar-free chewing gum so sugar-free is considered to be a good thing yeah um, especially there's uh, something xylitol that they often put in them yeah. which is actually a good thing from a dental point of view interesting it's like, yeah antibacterials you know um, mm. so basically the bacteria that cause decay um, plaque and and can also cause gum problems they feed on sugar so then they replicate and and that's what causes them to feed on sugar and then attack the teeth so if you don't have the sugar, then you won't have that replication of those bad bacteria, you know. That's interesting. I, I suppose most people would find it difficult to cancel sugar. Yeah, you should have sugar because yeah. you need your blood sugar. So mm. you don't want to obviously collapse or start. Yeah. <laughs> and um, secondly, but what they say is if you have a, a sugar intake, then you should have that in at one time. So... If you're having like dinner with a dessert or if you have one episode of sugar, the worst thing you can do is to have a bag of sweets and eat it gradually because the tooth can never recover. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the it's mouth will have... recover. It's best to have it all in one. Interesting. The that's, sugar hit, that that's suits what they the call binges. it. <laughs> <laughs> that's better from a dental point of view wow. at least. <laughs> I'm going to tell my wife that next time she eats a whole bag of candy things. <laughs> yeah, like anything, it's not about eliminating things. And obviously people say like you could have honey or or, you know, agave or brown sugars, you know, there's things which are better and obviously dried fruits have sugar, fruits mm. have sugar. So it's not about eliminating things. Right. So there are better and worse, sort of like fructose and, and glucose, maybe slightly different. Exactly. And as we say, your blood sugar, you've got to maintain it. You don't want to have a collapse. So it's not about eliminating everything. It's just about kind of trying to be more educated when you have it. Um, That's really interesting. And definitely trying to avoid like those sticky sweets that yeah. can get stuck in the, we call them the fishes, the oh, grooves yeah. in the centre of the teeth. Yeah, as much I mean. as you can. Yeah. As <laughs> but much everything as is a treat. Yeah, exactly. Fine. In moderation, I suppose, balance is the, you know, especially for somebody who does lots of exercise, like, you know, you and I both exercise a fair amount. I feel less guilty, perhaps, having done a 5k or a 10k or whatever it is 20 30 minute run i would feel less guilty or, or less i wouldn't think about it less i think having Something, a source of sugar because yeah. probably that. your blood sugar is right down you sure. need to bring it out absolutely yeah. yeah let's talk a little bit about max mm. <laughs> so max how, how old is he now he is he was just four months old oh, wow that's amazing yeah it, it has been life-changing for sure <laughs> and um how have you managed to keep working one thing that always fascinated me is how people manage to carry on mm. with that reduced sleep and they just seem to function it's almost like an inbuilt it's... evolutionary thing where whatever happens you're gonna make it work i think so i think there's certainly some level of like primal instinctual thing um and you know we have it quite lucky because i work from home so i'm definitely on hand to help my partner um albeit that she doesn't need my help she's she's doing watching her 
do a remarkable job is is, is amazing in itself. Um, but yeah, I think that you know you have to take some time off at the beginning because it's all new and it's all scary. But there's a certain amount of adrenaline. Um, so the first couple of weeks, when we first month, are you know relatively more simple in terms of your energy because of the sort of novelty, or as it were. But the, the sort of sleep deprivation is quite accumulative, um, especially when they go through phases. So I mean that has been very hard at times. Um, luckily for us, it coincided with Christmas. Mm. So we it's a Christmas present. He a lovely Christmas present of no sleep was was <laughs> six weeks of it as well. It was really lovely. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we, it's not. It's just certainly not easy. Some people have it a lot more challenging than we do because because we're both at home. I do feel for the parents that have you know a partner that leaves the house at you know seven thirty eight a.m. and isn't back until seven thirty eight p.m. doing doing that sort of solo job. It's challenging. That's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't envy that in the slightest. Tell me about what your plans are for the future what do you think your plans are for the That's future kind of you can either immediate or yeah. long term and do you kind of plan or i do, do, I, do? I, I am a, a serious overthinker i think um which i think has positively impacted me in the past and hopefully will continue to do so but i i like to i like to think about sort of the next at least the next sort of four or five years for sure and i think the i have thought about this question and I think whilst it current, currently suits me, and it, as it really does, I, I'm very lucky. I've got a very um, loyal set of clientele and, and a very good system of word of mouth. And my, I have a very good level of sort of um, clinic work at the moment. And I get to work from home and people come to me and I am in total control over my diary. So that whilst all of those things are as they are, and I have a young son and, you know, maybe have another one. If, if we stay in London, I will certainly continue to do exactly as I do. And and hopefully as I skill up and, and get to do more interesting things, that will keep me fulfilled. If I were to leave London, which isn't uh, an impossibility, I think I would maybe take the opportunity to have a complete career break and switch. And I don't know what that is. And sometimes that scares me. Thinking about you know, the career that I have ahead of me now and how long I have left of it, the idea of doing one thing for my entire career almost gives me a little bit of cabin fever. So I don't like to think about that. And then I like to think that there maybe is something else out there which could be either related or totally unrelated. And not knowing that now also makes me feel a bit anxious. So that's where the overthinking can be slightly problematic. But I think whilst I'm in London, and whilst nothing else better comes up, I'll certainly continue to do what I do because I love it and it works for me. But if we were to leave London, I think I'd maybe think about retraining else. anything. I have no, no. <laughs> it's interesting how some people have like two or three careers, and I think things have changed from the way people literally had one hmm. path. Now you see a lot of people taking different yeah. angles and. It's quite interesting. That really interests me, and I and I am not against it being within the health space as my current work is, or being totally different. Retraining back to university, uh, none of that particularly, you know, scares me at all. But yeah, I'm totally not married to the idea of having one career my entire working life. If I do and I enjoy it, then so be it. But I am, um, you know, if if in ten years time I could look forward and see 
you know, that I was working in as a dentist or something, you know, that, that would also excite me as well. Something different. It yeah. is quite exciting to mm. give yourself another kind of whole path. Yeah, you know? it's and almost like it, a, a it's also Yeah, it's also interesting that with the future, it doesn't have to be absolutely mapped out. Mm. You've got possibilities, which I think is more interesting and exciting. Totally. It's maybe it's working out what those possibilities are. Because mm. I, I, it's a vocational degree being a physiotherapist and as is a dentist. And I'm sure there are many forks off of our careers that are out there. But maybe finding how to find those things out isn't not something that I've, I don't know what those things are. Sure, there must be lots of transferable skills, but it would be really interesting to know what other people in my position who have done, you know, they've worked for themselves or privately then gone, okay, that's enough of that. Let's see what else is out there. Let's use this bank of experience I have to go into this role. I'd love to see what those opportunities are. And what do you do for your kind of mental health and well-being and relaxation? Mm. Uh, it's going to have to say running again, which is interesting because I have had a big phase of running in my life before the one I've just started again, where I've run marathons and ultramarathons and, and done loads of running. And I never found it relaxing because I was always very competitive with myself, which is why I then stopped in the end. So people would say, oh, you know, you get the sort of mental health benefit from it. And I would actually not get that because I would usually be frustrated that I wanted to do more or better or faster. But now, because I don't have... It's almost like because you're relaxing into it, you're doing even better. Yeah, it's totally. Which, you know, could be could answer your question as to why I'm running faster and, and more efficiently. Uh, but running is definitely one of them... Um, uh, and then just like the classic things, music, TV, good food, those sort of family company, all of the sort of things that I think make that sort of quite wholesome, wholesome lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. So with your cl uh, kind of uh, clinic or your, do you take referrals and do you work with other specialities like fitness professionals mm -hmm. and doctors and things or do most people just come to you? I have a lot of... Um, sort of people who kind of search for physio, you know, physio near me, I come up on the old Google search. There's lots of those, lots of nice Google reviews. Um, but my main source of clientele is through word of mouth, exactly how you came mm -hmm. to me. Your PT referred you to see me. And I have a lot of fitness professionals, a lot of yogis, a lot of different exercise professionals who teach all around London who maybe I have treated and then they will rec recommend me. There's a big yoga like WhatsApp which is as funny as it sounds. Quite and literally. do you do yoga yourself? No, I don't. And what do you think about yoga and Pilates? <laughs> Pilates I love. Pilates I think is is for everyone. Yoga, it's just not for me. I've tried it and maybe I haven't found the right teacher or, the, or been in the right headspace, but I, I don't ever, having tried it maybe three or four times in my life, I've never managed to do it for more than a couple of weeks. Mm. But there is a I'm lot. I'm the of, same, actually. Yeah. I think the thing is, as you said, like, it's what is right for everybody mm. everybody's different so some people you know classes are amazing and they yeah. love the group mentality yeah you know some people love running clubs and some people love to run on their own yeah you know so everyone has that but in, uh, but not yeah. everyone finds that i think no because there are loads of people who get put off by groups or or classes or gyms with lots of people and they don't necessarily realize that there are other ways of doing things um, because I, I do, I, that's another one of my beliefs. I do believe there is something for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. They're 100%. And I don't know how that person has to go about finding it. I think exposure, trying everything. It's kind of like 
you know, when you have a, like, for example, with, with Max, I will try and expose him to as many different things as possible and see which one he likes the best. And then we'll, you know, hopefully get him involved in that. But, you know, that might range from ballet to football to cricket to gym to running, whatever it is, because there's so many different forms of leisure and activity that are useful in the same sort of like physical sense as going to the gym or, or something like that. And you just got to find the right one. Yeah, absolutely. Just finding what's right for you. Mm. you know. Yeah. We talk a lot a bit, you know, a lot about success and how you achieve things. Mm. But also I like to talk a little bit about challenges. Yeah. Can you think of any kind of challenges that you've had and, challenges. you know, and how you overcome them, either in your career or in, you know, uh, a challenging case. Yeah, so, certainly within work there are challenges. I'm trying to think of an interesting challenging one. Challenging patients. Certainly, <laughs> challenging challenging personalities is, is a thing for sure. Less I see that, less working for myself. Hmm. And this is because I think I don't take many insurance patients because luckily I don't need to. But when I worked in the city, you see a high volume of patients and a high volume of those are insurance patients. And they're is a portion of those people who basically treat you like the hired help and that's that's terrible because mm. you don't want to help those people mm. not because you don't like them it's just they treat you terribly mm. and they're late and they're rude and they're maybe they're in pain so they're a bit you know not themselves and all these things and you have to try to like put park all that to the side that can be quite challenging um but certainly challenging from a career perspective before i started out on my own um so i worked at a clinic in the city which is where I met my wife. She was the external marketing All right. agency and, and, you know, she was the one who was telling me that lots of the requests were coming in for me so I should, you know, try and do this on my own, which is what I did. When I told my boss that this is something that I was thinking of doing and, and thinking of leaving and, and that I'd had a really lovely time working with them, um, she took me out for lunch to the NED, told me that I would hate working for myself, that'd be really hard and gave me a pay rise. Um, which lasted for about two weeks before I realised I'd just been completely played um, and before I eventually quit. But that sort of being told that I'd be rubbish at it and told that it wouldn't work, just it, not necessarily a challenge, but I mean, I saw it as a challenge and I rose to it and her company's collapsed and most of her clients now see me. Obviously, it worked out. It worked you out know, well. what I think sometimes as well is um, when people are working in the city and they come in between work, mm. then that can be a really difficult, stressful, pressured time because totally. uh, they're in between meetings mm. or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes when those same people then step out of that, if they come to you... Lovely. You know, exactly. Yeah. It, it's not necessarily the actual person. It's just that situation. Totally. There. And I think that's the same with pain. Mm. You know, you, you have a problem with a part of your body and it's stopping you doing the thing that you love doing and that's frustrating. Mm. And then you don't have that release. Mm. So, you know, you carry that stress with you. I, I have had patients who have come in upset, angry, frustrated, and, you know, been come across as a certain way. And then 10 minutes later, once you've sort of like laid it back and sort of explained the issue and, and made them understand that, you know, it's not all that bad, some of the nicest people. Yeah, yeah. So exactly what you're saying. I think that in dentistry too, because mm. people could be in pain and people are nervous as well, you know, and... Uh, yeah. Obviously, we often have to administer local anaesthetic yeah, injections. Of but also, <laughs> it's not everybody's favourite thing. No, but I think as well with your work, the the um, 
task completion is visible. Yeah, which so is nice. So they must love that. That's one. That's a great thing. There are so many people who you know you just have to look at your Instagram to see how many amazingly positive reviews you have of people who absolutely love the work you've done for them, and obviously they're all smiling because you've worked on their teeth and their smile, but they're also just really happy and really grateful. I think working in health, and I, I'm sure you, you would agree with this, it's really good because you have a really tangible outcome. Mm -hmm. And every day you go to work, yeah. you've made a difference. Yeah. So you always feel like it was worth getting up, worth going to work, worth doing this. I, you know? I feel like that can be explained as... as task completion yeah there are so exactly. many jobs that you know you could be a project manager and you might have 15 projects on the go and you're in charge of the marketing of that but that's not the whole task completion whereas like the person comes to you with the crooked smile you whip the teeth out put them in a lovely cheesy smile <laughs> that's the whole task complete mm. and that's the, that's the same with me if somebody can't run because they've hurt their knee and then they go and run their marathon box ticked if i see that person again could be for their shoulder yes it's a new task mm, mm, mm. and i think not every job there i don't think there are loads of jobs that have that element of being able to see a task the whole way through from start to finish yeah i think sometimes if, if you're in a big corporation mm. you can get lost in the in the puzzle and yeah. pe your piece in it and what the actual outcome is and you don't even see the outcome that's exactly. that's that's the point i think exactly well, thank you so much, Ben. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. And all of Ben's details and links we're going to put in the show notes. And thank you guys for listening. And if you liked today's show, please rate and review wherever you get your podcast. It was presented by me, Dr. Richard Marks. For more about me, I'm on at Dr. Underscore Richard Double Underscore or visit my website, www.drrichardlondon.com. This is Pod People production and the music is by Delhi Music and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.